If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and make your way to Romans 7. That's where we'll be spending most of the time this evening. So, um, again, wanted to welcome you. Thanks for being here with us. Um, it's an exciting time in the life of uh, a church when you get to define who you are, what you do, and why. And, and it doesn't happen often. There's very few times when a church can truly establish DNA, can truly establish a heartbeat for what they desire to do. So it's an exciting time as far as Watershed is concerned in that aspect because that's what we're getting to do. Why are we here? What are we doing? And what drives that? And, and last week, we talked about letting, with letting Jesus change our perspective. We, we used Paul as a case study and really talked about how there was two main ways that you see change through Paul's life. First, it was an inward change. It was this regeneration of his heart, this creating this new heart in his life. When he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, his, it was internally changed. It was this internal thing, but then also we saw that there's an outward shift as well. There was this sanctification or this growing outward propulsion that the gospel gave him. And while both of those are distinct, they're very linked in his life and in ours. And we talked about that if our perspective is supposed to follow the gospel, that it will do both. It will change us inwardly. We will see ourselves differently, and then in lieu of that, we'll see the world differently. But... What happens then as we move forward is we realize that we don't always stay changed. You saw that in, in, that, in that prayer that I read from the Valley of Vision, just talking about how even our righteousness are tainted with sin. How everything that we bring to it is sinful. And so it causes us to ask questions about a change in perspective. So if our perspective really changed, then we have to question what happened with that. And, and the questions that, that we'll get to tonight and we'll talk about through Romans 7 are, are, what are we actually like? If we really look at ourselves, if we really look, what are we actually like? And then if there's change that needed is needed, what's our role in that? And then finally, how does the gospel affect that change? And is it a permanent change? That's really what we want to know. Is this change that the gospel is enacting in my life a permanent change? And so that's what we'll talk about tonight. And those are all good questions. But if you think about them, there's really two answers to each one. And depending on how you answer it, a relationship is defined. That relationship is ours and God's. If we define or answer those questions one way, then our relationship with God will be defined in a different aspect than if we answer the question differently. So they're critical questions. Because... Really, when we look at it, we all seek to find meaning and importance in our lives. We all want to find that. But we often find ourselves seeking that in the wrong sources. And that causes our perspective then to change undo. So, if you will, read with me from Romans 7. We're going to be in verse 21, starting verse 21. Just this little part of Romans 7. And then um, we will get actually to answering those questions. What is this all about? In Romans 7, verse 21, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. If you all pray with me real quick. Well, that's the Spirit's guidance through this. Father God, we just thank you. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've given us your word so that we can, we can find truth. And tonight we just pray that your Spirit would awaken our hearts to the truths that you've given us through this passage. That you would guide us, you would direct us, and that our perspective would be that of yours when we walk out of here. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, what are we actually like? It's, it's, when we think about that, that's really a question we don't want to ask, right? That's kind of that scary question that I don't really know if I want to, I want to find that answer out, right? We, we tend to avoid questions like that. We don't want to get into this internal, deep cross-examination of our hearts. We just like that little feel-good surface thing. All right, I'm good. A little self-check, and now I'm going to be back on my way. It's a, I don't know if that's a time thing, if we're in a hurry, so we don't want to do it. I think it's more of a, we just, we're just scared what we might find. You know, I know that if I really look deep into who I am, it's probably going to scare me. It's probably going to affect me in a way that I don't want to deal with. So it's easier not even to think about it, but it's a critical question. When I was going through this, I thought about Keaton, my son Keaton, and I thought about his swimming lessons. He's been taking them for, I guess, two or three years. And after you learn a little bit, we would go from where we took swimming lessons, we'd go to the main pool or the big pool in Lampasas, and then he would never do it the same way at the big pool. And it wasn't that he didn't think he could. He just didn't want to find out. This is a further gap. And I could stand in the middle, and, you know, if you have kids, you've done that when they're jumping in and you're trying to, I won't move, and then everyone moves back because you're trying to get them to go. And I was doing that, so then they wisen up to that. You're going to move, so, and, you know, I say, no, I won't. And you like, move your arms. You try to do something. But at the pool where we were giving swimming lessons, he would jump in. He would go. It, it still had to be on his terms some, but he wasn't afraid because he knew what he was capable of. He knew who he was in that pool. But then you take him to another pool, the scenery changes. All of a sudden, it's bigger. And the same distance isn't the same. And it's not that he couldn't do it. It's that he didn't want to find out. He wasn't willing to go there to find out if he could actually do that. And that's the same thing we do. We don't want to find out who we are. We don't want to go into our hearts. We don't want to find that out because then there might be something we need to do. It might, it might mean that we're not right. And, and so when we, when we answer that question, what are we actually like? What do, we, what do we see that Paul, he's talking about himself. We can say this is about us as well. What, what does he say in this passage that we are? He says that, that evil lies close at hand when he wants to do right. So evil follows him, follows him around. That he's captive to the law of sin. He's captive to it. It's not that it comes every now and then. He's captive. He's, it's got him, this law of sin. And then in verse 24, he, he finishes that with, he's a, a wretched man that I am. It's this desperation. Because see, no one wants to be bad. 
No one wants to no one wants to be a negative person. No one wants to be bad. And Paul's the same way. We'd rather remember the Philippians one twenty one for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul, than we would to remember the Romans seven twenty four, wretched man that I am. Because if we remember for me to live as Christ, then hey, we've got it going on. But if but if all of a sudden we, we only are brought into this wretched man that I am, then that requires change on our part. And and we see here though what Paul is talking about is that we find, let's just read it again. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin. It's, it's critical we understand something about that passage. In my inner being, that he delights in the law of God. This is Paul talking about his post-conversion self. This isn't persecute, kill all the Christians, Paul, and then he meets God. This is Paul after the fact. Now that, 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 that changes the whole attitude of this. It's his inner being he delights in law. Because, and we know that this is after conversion because people that haven't experienced the regeneration of the Spirit don't delight in God's law. We're enemies of God. So Paul is here saying, no, I've, I've got this. I understand it. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. At the point in my depth in my heart, I delight in it. But I see another law waging war. Another law waging war. Our perspective is drawn outwardly by the law of sin that's holding us captive. Our flesh is holding us captive. And so why does that change our perspective? It's because we're sinful. If we're honest about it, we're sinful people. Even post-conversion. If you've experienced Jesus Christ as your Savior and yet you're still sinful. It doesn't change that. The penalty's changed, but you're still sinful. So we have to be honest about who we really are. And so if we're sinful, we need a change. If, if there's truly sin dwelling in us, then we need a change. And that leads us to that next question. What's our role in that change? What is our role in change? And when we think about that, it's a critical answer. Critical answer. And we find it in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. He's acknowledging that he's a sinner. I'm a wretched man. But then he asks a question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's what we need to talk about. What is our role in our change? Nothing. Because we can't do it. If, if Paul was the teacher that we say he is, the theologian that we say he is, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If he was the teacher and we had something to do with this, wouldn't he have just told us right here? This saved 2,000 years of confusion. If he was a really a good teacher, then he could fix himself. He wouldn't cry out, who's going to deliver me? He'd say, hey, do this. So what's our role in our change? Nothing. And that's the problem. It's because we want to be in that. We want to have this change. And you see this desperation. There's a R.C. Sproul is a theologian pastor. And in a, one of his commentaries to Romans, he tells a story. It's in a different part of Romans, but he tells a story that um, back in the first century or, or maybe further beyond that, there was for certain times if there was 
a murder or something like that happened, one of the ways they would punish them is they'd literally chain the person they killed to them. They would chain them to their leg, and then they had to drag it around. They had to drag this body around. Okay, uh, You just can imagine what that's like. I mean, you wouldn't go anywhere, but that doesn't help because it's still there. I mean, it, not going anywhere didn't help. So you're stuck with this body, this, this rotting flesh, and you just couldn't do anything about it. And that's the same desperation we see here in Paul. What a wretched man I am. I'm being captive by the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me? He's crying out to this. Who will deliver me? Who is, he's losing his mind. What is going on here? I know God's law in my heart. Yet I'm dragging this flesh around with me. Who will deliver me? Can you hear that desperation in his voice? This, I don't know what to do, but I can't go on like this. Who will deliver me? Where will my help come from? When we think about that, when you, who will deliver me? There's another aspect of that deliverance. Is who's actually going to get close enough to take care of that? Think about the people that were chained to their victim. No one even come close to him. It wasn't just you. It wasn't you having to deal with it, but everyone else around you would have had to deal with it. So they would have avoided you. So who will deliver us from this body of death? It's really asking who's going to come close enough to get dirty. Who's going to come close enough that this is going to affect them. This rotting flesh will be on them as well. Who is going to do that? And that's where he's at. It's this complete rock bottom. I can't do anything. Because I'm captive by the law of sin, even though I delight in God's law. My heart, I'm held captive. I'm a wretched person. I'm a wretched person. Who will deliver me? And that's the first time we have to ask ourselves, are you, are you at that point yet? Are you at that point where you're delighting in God's law, but yet you see everything else happening? Your flesh is continuing to drag you into sinful desires. Are you at that point where you're tired of it? Is it actually rotting? Is it affecting your life enough to where you're crying out for a Savior? Are you still trying to do the change yourself? Have you come to the point where you're literally, I'm a wretched person who will deliver me because it's not working? Because that's where Paul was. And until you get to that point, the change isn't going to happen. Our perspective is going to be worldly. If we're not to the point where the filth and disgust, you can imagine someone that had that punishment. I would, I'm assuming they weren't the, they were the tough guys, I guess. I don't know what it would be. But at first, they probably thought they could handle it, right? It's really not that bad. Eh, you know, we're just sitting around. But as time went by, and the body decomposed, there's going to be a point where you couldn't deal with it anymore. And we have to get to that same point in our lives where we can't deal with our sinful, sinful flesh enough. And we cry out, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this? And that gives us to the third question. Because who will deliver me? And that's where the gospel comes in. So how does the gospel work out the change? It's because it reminds us that we have a deliverer. We say, who will deliver me? And the gospel says, Jesus. Who will deliver me? And the gospel says, Jesus. Who will deliver me? And again, it says, Jesus. We should never grow tired of hearing that. 
That should be the best news we hear every day. And we should be able to hear it over and over and over again. Who will deliver me? Jesus did. He came to the earth and he was close enough to us to get dirty. He was close enough to be in the filth that we were dragging around. And he delivered us from it. We have a deliverer. And the gospel works because it doesn't stop where the law does with our sin. It introduces us to our Savior. It introduces us to our Savior. And this is a good thing if we keep reading. Let's start in verse 24. Verse 24 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then chapter 8 continue. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if that right there doesn't get you excited, then I don't think you've really understood the gospel. I don't think you've really met who you are as far as your sinful self because we have been set free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we're brought into Christ... There's no condemnation. Into Christ. We're literally in Christ. We're a part of Him. And He is a part of us. And it's only through Jesus that deliverance is found. It's only through Jesus that deliverance is found. And that it's held. It's permanent. We have been set free. We can cry out, who will deliver me? And the gospel says Jesus did. Jesus did. There's something we need to point out there that, that sometimes we forget. Why, why is God, why is Jesus able to save us? Let's look at chapter 8, verse 3 real quick. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law couldn't save us. The law exposed sin, but it had no way of replacing there had no way of bringing the righteousness to. So God did what the law couldn't do, weakened by grace, by sending His own Son, His own Son, Jesus Christ. How? In the likeness of sinful flesh. We need to take a moment and think about that. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and He was human. Just as you and I were, but there was one difference. See, when we are born, we're inherently sinful. If you have kids, you know this because you don't teach them to hit and steal and yet they hit and steal. Maybe you do, but you probably don't want them to do what they do. And it starts at such an age that there's no way else they learned this. It just happened. The Christ isn't that way. Because see, that sin is passed down from our fathers. But we have to remember that Jesus' father wasn't earthly. He didn't have an earthly father to have this original sin in him. Because if he had, then he's not a savior. He's a sinner just like us. Didn't matter how he lived after the fact. If he would have had the sin originally, there's no need for anything else because it was smart. Because he doesn't have that original sin. Because his father wasn't earthly. 
His father wasn't earthly, so he doesn't have that. And because he doesn't have that, he's our savior. That's why the gospel is good news. Because the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Has been fulfilled in Christ. But to get to the question again, how does the gospel actually work out this change? Okay, so we, we, we understand that the gospel reminds us that Christ is our Savior. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will. So how does that work out? Because a lot of times we get stuck and we think that the gospel is just this one-time thing. This is come for salvation and then after that we're on our own. No, the gospel is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. You see that in verse 4 right there. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So how does the gospel work out this change in us? It reminds us that we have a savior. And it reminds us of that daily. When we wake up. When we wake up, the gospel is pointing us to Christ. Every day. So is it a permanent change? Yes. But does our perspective always stay the same? No, because we're still sinful. And there's times when we don't preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got it figured out. And we drift away and our perspective goes with it. And all we have to do is come back. And remember that that flesh can no longer have power over us. Because the Spirit has given us power over it. We don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. The gospel is a daily walk and activity. It's not a one-time entrance. It is the entrance, but then it's also the path that we grow on. And as we grow in the gospel, we understand that we are more and more sinful than we really want to be. And because of that, we realize more and more how holy he is. Because when we cried out, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, my son did. So I sent him to you in your likeness so that he could live the life that you didn't live. You couldn't live. And he died the death that you deserved under the law. You deserve punishment. Because remember, sin is always deserving of God's wrath. Even after we are saved, even after we're converted, if we continue to sin, that sin merits the wrath of God. And the only reason we don't have it is because of Jesus every day. Every day, he stands up and holds back God's wrath by his actions on the cross. And his righteousness is included in us. And a lot of times we hear that story and we forget its power. We become so familiar with the gospel, we become so familiar that Jesus is the answer that we forget its power. And so when you feel that draw... We have to remember that we have to bring back to it. If we ever get to the point that we've outgrown the gospel, then you've never really understood it anyways. Because you never get past needing the gospel. You never grow out of the gospel. It's our lifeblood because it reminds us that we have a Savior. And so, depending on how long we live, if, if God grants us to live 80, 90 years, every morning we get up and we preach the gospel to ourselves. And every morning the gospel will respond when we say, who will deliver me with Jesus did? 
Jesus did. That's how it works out this change. Because it points us to a Savior that we didn't deserve, yet we were given. It points us to that. And that's why when we sing the song like we did, that Jesus is better, that's why He's better. Because there's nothing else that can come in place of Him. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's our sinful flesh dragging it around and us asking, who will deliver me from this? Who will deliver me from this? And the gospel reminding us, and Jesus did. Jesus has. And we should never grow old of hearing that. Here's a second, Caleb. We're going to sing another song just to, just to make that declaration in our lives. And just, just encourage you to remember that, that that point of the gospel is that we need a Savior. And we have one. And we have one. He lived 2,000 years ago. And He died on the cross. And He rose again. And He will return to establish His kingdom. So I'll pray and then we'll sing.